I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. Ross, good morning. Good morning, Jill. We had a relatively short meeting last night. It was ended by 8.30, so it was about a three and a half hour meeting, which is really short in the terms of school committee. And the meeting began with the superintendent's report. Thank you, Chair. Uh, So first of all, good evening, everyone. Where the superintendent addressed this issue that came up in public comment and a lot of questions from school committee members, which is about back pay for Boston Teachers Union members. The delayed retro pay for, for members of the BTU. As well as other bargaining units who may not be getting back pay that they deserve from their contracts. Um, and this was this is retro pay that's owed as part of the collective bargaining agreement that was voted on this past fall. Right. So the superintendent tried to explain what was going on there, I think, just to set expectations for school committee members because there were a number of teachers who got on and talked about the issue. We've received a large data file from the city that lists out pay data for every BTU employee for the term specified in the MOA. And it literally means we have to go through them and reconcile the data to process retro for the eligible populations and in the correct amounts. And this includes both current BTU members and former BTU members. This process is complex, but it is well underway and has been is being worked on actively. Russ, what is she talking about? The superintendent saying she got a giant file from the city that they're now culling through to verify and that teachers are not going to receive this back pay until February, second paycheck in February. I can imagine, I can understand why the head of the teachers union had to get on and talk about this. What do you think is going on with this giant file? I, Jill, I don't know what this giant file is, to be honest with you. I used to be in charge of human resources or human capital. Yeah. And what I recall when I remember, is this is not a new process, right? We typically have settled contracts. This one was settled in the summertime in August. Yeah. And there's typically retroactive pay as part of that process, especially if the contract expired and then was still being negotiated. And so what happens is typically you negotiate retro pay for the time period in which you're negotiating the contract. So I have no idea, Jill, what's happening with City Hall. We're in January and months have gone by without us addressing this issue. But What I do know is that this sends a message to our teachers and potentially other bargaining units who are expecting retro pay in a timely manner that they may not be valued or a priority. And it's a highly concerning thing for a school system to not have appropriate pay for the people who work for the school system. And Jill, we're talking about about 5,000 teachers here and, you know, total employees, active employees of the school system is somewhere around 8,000 people. Yeah. Later, the superintendent referred to ESSER funding and this kind of continuous flow of new hires. And so I wonder if, you know, in a nutshell, what we're hearing is just an exhausted and overwhelmed human resources department. Well, we do know that there's been a significant amount of jobs added to the school system. I didn't hear that discussion from school committee, though. I mean, I feel like there was enough information presented that it should be the question from school committee should be, do we have enough support on the human capital side. Right. It should have never reached this situation. We we should have never gotten to the point where we have the teachers union president and teachers testifying, asking to be paid appropriately. So all of this should have been done previously. We should have figured out a way to manage this problem. And now we'll have to be managed going forward. But you're right. I mean, this is not necessarily something the school committee should be 
having to pay attention to, but they're all trying to figure out what do we do and how do we make sure teachers are paid. Yeah. But yes, uh, the superintendent talked about this balloon, this Esser balloon effect, maybe that we've added a bunch of jobs and actually things have changed. I do think human capital has been in sort of a unique uh, situation with just a tremendous volume of jobs that um, through ESSER dollars over the last two years um, has just ballooned the system. People have changed where they're working, what departments they're working in. And all of this has become probably a stressor for the Office of Human Capital and the payroll department. Well, if it hasn't grown accordingly, for sure. Now, going forward, Jill, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, the district and the city are settling a lot of contracts with different bargaining groups. And I would suggest that the district really put in this implementation team, make sure that somebody is paying attention to what is being decided upon in these contracts. And the school system should really work in a very expedient way to make sure that they're following through with with what's decided. You know, that's a good point, because we heard about that last week when there was discussion about enrollment and why we couldn't be competitive, why the why the city, why, why BBS couldn't be competitive with the charter schools and the public schools who all admit kids around March. And the explanation seemed to describe a, a failure in implementation, that there was renegotiation and approval of policy, but a failure on the implementation side to raise a red flag and say, that this is going to make us non-competitive. Right. With, here, it sounds like maybe a similar thing is happening where there's negotiations happening, there's decisions being made, but then it's not, there's not an implementation team on the other side to catch it it's a great, and it's turn a, it into reality. It's a great point. It's the, those who are making decisions at the table around major policy or bargaining unit contracts may not be the same people who are implementing yeah, they never those contracts, are. right? It's two different um, skill sets. And it seems like that implementation team needs to be consulted prior to yeah. deciding on the contract yeah. and the timeline. And yeah. and to your point, you know, the policy around enrollment is is massive and it's incredibly problematic and it Ugh. continues to be. Yeah, absolutely. So then the superintendent also talked a bit about mergers and community input and collaboration with right. the community. It did cause school committee member Brandon Cardet Hernandez to ask the question, what do we mean when we say community process? It's one of these words that now I think has become jargon. Like, I think it would be really helpful for us to define what is community engagement. You know, he actually pulled from a quote from last meeting. A parent was stating, do you want my input around like how the merger should happen? And, yeah. and or do you want me to just help decide on the paint color in the school? You know, there was someone last week who talked about paint color versus the design, uh, the square footage of rooms, right? And so, you know, I'm curious from your lens, what do you think is engagement? What is the purpose of engagement? And then like, what should families and stakeholders expect from that process? Boston Public Schools in the city of Boston is beginning an engagement process around the Green New Deal, aka Build BPS. Mm. And the last time this was done, it was really like, you know, we engaged a lot of families and asked them what they wanted. And, you know, do you want brand new gyms and libraries and so on? Right. Kind of knowing that that probably wasn't going to happen, right? right? But there was a lot of imagining. Yeah. And this time through, the question is like, how do we actually engage people? And the example with the Sumner and the Philbrick is really clear, yeah. right? It's like those families do not feel like their voices are being heard in that merger process. Right. And Mr. Cadet Hernandez is right. Like, let's just be honest about it. Like, yeah. do we 
want you to weigh in and we're and we'll listen, but we really don't want you to tell us what you think the facility should or, look or like. Here's when here's where we do. Yeah, want or define to have it. Community input versus right. here where we don't. I you know, it was interesting because another school committee member, Kwok Tran, did sort of kind of pose the question to all school committee members and said, Hey, do we all have the same definition? I, w- I wouldn't mind going around the table right. here and hearing what everybody thinks we mean when we say community engagement. We've been talking about community engagement and, and transparency for the last 2,000 years. <laughs> that, of course, got tabled right. to right. the next meeting. Right. You know, So let's see whether or not that happens at the next right. meeting, because I don't think it's a horrible thing you know, for the superintendent co- to come to the next meeting and within writing, you know, kind of a definition of community engagement and let people weigh in on it and opine right. on it because everyone should be on the same page, well, including the community. Right. We know that we're in the next few years going to have to deal with mergers of schools and closures of schools. Right. right. And they referenced an article that was in the Globe that, you know, surmised there's at least 16 schools. Right. That should be shut down in order to right size the district, right. which is a big number. Right. So it's coming, right? And right. and and this is the Philbrick and the Sumner conversation is a really good conversation to pay attention to, as well as the Shaw, the PA Shaw conversation. How do will those families be engaged? What does engagement look like? Right. And how will these decisions be made? Here's the thing though, right? Because we heard back when Brenda Casilius was superintendent, she said we have engaged, we're we're engaged in a process of creating a new plan for the district. We could never find any evidence of that. Then we've heard more recent conversation between the new superintendent and school committee and the mayor's office saying we are going to engage in a planning process. And I think that takes us out a year. Is that right? Right. So for the Green New Deal. That's correct. Yep. And so I loved Brandon Cardet Hernandez's comment, which was like, can we, in lieu of having a plan, that we can all be grounded in. These discussions can be grounded. Could we have like a, an outline? You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a mini plan? <laughs> Give like us a little, like yeah, something? some sort right. of thing. Because right. it's like, and I kind of agree with him. I mean, this should be an iterative process. Is there something short of a master plan that we can deliver to help further clarify the rationale behind mergers? And then at the same time, is there something we can offer the current communities who are in conversations, real clarity around what the existing decision points are for them in the engagement process. It's not a great idea to be like, have a plan being, you know, conceived of in a corner somewhere, you know, in city hall or in, you know, some office in BPS without, you know, there being input along the way. And this is kind of about iteration and really, you know, looking at projections for the city and trying to understand where, where the city's population of children are going to be and how we need to serve them, et cetera, et cetera. That feels like just a conversation that we should be happening and that we should be making decisions along the way. Absent of a master plan, we're gonna continue to have these moments where people are very confused around why them, and then very confused what their role is in the process. And for me as a parent, what I would want the engagement to look like is a very clear why, the sort of rationale as to why this happen, is happening, and, and deep clarity around the decision points that I'm being asked to participate in versus the ones that have been made. Well, I, I agree with you, Jill, and I, and I also feel like you need leaders of that work, and, yes. and people need to know who those leaders are, who the decision makers are, and how that process will lay out. 
And so, Jill, we also uh, last night heard a report from the student representative on BSAC, Diego Meta. And, you know, this good news that BSAC, Boston Student Advisory Council, has restarted in November. And you may remember there was quite a turbulent period with the Boston Student Advisory Council about a year ago. And it's great to hear that they've restarted. Yeah, I didn't realize that that like stopped, like halted. BSAC entirely. Right. I think there was I think there was a lot to rebuild and, and particularly yeah. the trust between the students and the adult facilitators. Mm-hmm. Um, that was broken. And it sounds like they're back on track with new adults and members of BSAC working together. So they started in November. They're being paid, which yeah, is which great. is cool. So that's great. Teachers may not be getting retro, but the students are, which is a good news that they're good getting point. paid. Yeah. And it seems like they're off to a great start. And they're working on getting student representatives from every high school, which mm-hmm. is always Always the challenge, but making sure every high school has a student rep on it, on PSAC. And why they, is it hard to get representation from all high schools if it's a paid position? Because sometimes they just students don't know that that's available. Yeah. And so you kind of have to build a pipeline, if you will, like get into a school. So if you know that, then why is school committee member, the vice chair, asking Diego how can school committee help? Like if you know that, yeah. doesn't he know that? Yeah. Like help them out. Yeah, go recruit. Go, go get, yeah, yeah, give them some yeah. marketing money and make sure, sure that every school, high school across the district knows right. that they have the, a spot. And one way to do this is, you know, every high school should have a student government where you have student representatives helping make decisions at the school. You know, one pipeline is to go to that student government and try to recruit members for Boston Student Advisory Council. Yeah. So it's great to hear that they're back on track and we look forward to hearing how they get involved in policy decision-making going forward. I wouldn't mind hearing more from him. There's such depth, I think, and breadth to his comments that should really be probed as the representative of whatever the 50,000 students in the district. He should have he should have more airtime, I think. <laughs> we, we kind of end up saying this about most of our uh, student representatives on the school committee. They are really valued members. They're the customer. Yeah. And to hear one. to hear their perspective Smart on these one. policy decisions yeah. that are being discussed as adults, I think he has a lot to say and and I'm looking forward too to hearing what he has to say in the future. Yeah. And then Jill, really the crux of the meeting last night was this safety report from the Council for Great City Schools. Council for Great City Schools with another report. Three for three. This mm-hmm. is their third report. They did, as you remember, they did the report on special education. They did a report last time on transportation and now on safety. And you know where I left on this, Jill? Like mm. the safety report is like, I, didn't, I had no idea what their problem they're trying to solve. And this was raised by member Cadet Hernandez as well. I think I'm, I'm walking away from this, I guess with a little bit of confusion around what we're looking to solve? Like, what is the problem that we are trying to address? Well, here's the thing, right? There was no, typically when you're trying to solve a problem, you have data that shows you that there is a problem. And then you set goals for how much you want to shift, you know, the nuances of that problem. In lieu of any data on safety, it's hard to define the problem. Right. And it's probably challenging to present safety data and do it contextually so that the community internalizes the safety data in the right way, right? Like you don't wanna cause fear that doesn't need to exist at the same time you want to make sure you're realistic about the problem that you're trying to solve. Well, as we know in the previous Mass Inc. polls, the families are concerned about safety. Without knowing the data, you end up maybe communicating that things may be out of control, particularly if in the media, you hear about these high, very acute incidents that are happening. And this 
started last year when we heard about the assault on a, a head of school in BPS. We've heard about it most recently about an assault of a staff member. And we hear about students' safety issues in and around our schools quite often in the media. Yeah. And the question is, which was not answered last night, it was what are we seeing? What are the trends? And then what are the possible solutions to what we're seeing? We didn't hear anything about the data. The one data piece, Jill, that has been debated a little bit in city council is mm. about the sexual misconduct category. This is a categorical data that's reported by the Office of Equity a few school committee meetings ago. Isn't that a strange place for safety data? To it say, is. It's, a, it's this historical place that it, they report huh. the sexual misconduct complaints yeah. that are investigated. And this number has been picked up as it's been a great increase in post-pandemic of sexual misconduct cases reported. But those cases have great variation from language to inappropriate touching across all grade levels mm -hmm. to more serious issues. Mm -hmm. And nobody really knows how to unpack that number. And city councilors have begun to question BPS on what are you doing about this? And yeah. BPS is trying to say, well, there's great variation and we're trying to keep kids safe. And so th this is just this lack of data is causing confusion and lack of accurate data is causing confusion around what the right remedies are. So this report last night from the Council of Great City Schools was sort of like, you know, Jill, honestly, it was it was just about like have better communication, have better data, have have a better relationship. A better relationship. Now, let's let's be honest, right? This is coming down to the relationship between the Boston Public Schools yeah. and the Boston Police Department. And under the previous superintendent, that relationship was incredibly strained. Yeah. And the essentially there was a shift made and there was communication given that Boston police were not welcome into BPS schools. And in fact, when there were safety issues happening, it didn't appear that there was immediate reaction from the Boston Police Department. And this was more on the school department side, it seemed like, saying, we don't want you in our schools. But last night, it was clearly communicated from mm -hmm. the superintendent and the Boston Police Commissioner that there would be increased collaboration with yeah. one another and that they would work together to make sure that our schools are safe. Yeah. There's great debate though around this, Jill, right? I mean, there's there's still uh, community members who are saying and, and, and students and staff who are saying, you know, we don't want police in our schools. And I think this is last night, we didn't hear a solution to this, right? We just heard that there should be increased communication and collaboration amongst the police department and the Boston Public Schools. There should be better collection of data. And that's kind of all we heard from this report. It was really underwhelming report. Well, the one thing that I thought was interesting that gave us a little more granularity into how the superintendent is thinking about things is the discussion around metal detectors, where right. she said what is happening with decisions around metal detectors is it's on a school by school basis that we're providing the school with the safety data for that specific school so that the community and the leadership at that school can make a decision about whether or not they want metal detectors. That seems very sensical. It really did. It, yeah. it seemed like a very rational yeah. way to make decisions. This has been policy for a while now, and that we respond to it on a school-by-school -school basis. Yeah. Jill, we have to remember back, like, the reason this report was actually given was because the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, as you know, told the district they were in need of a significant improvement in particular areas. But they didn't say from what to what. They, they, they only alluded to, they didn't cite any data around safety. Right. They, they cited the fact that parent complaints were going unanswered around safety issues. Mm -hmm. So maybe that should have been the data that was, <laughs> was presented last night. Right. Maybe that should have been the problem that was actually looked at. So the school committee and the superintendent have submitted this report to the Department of Elementary Secondary Education. And I guess what, we're, what we wait for now, Jill, is the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education to, to respond, 
not only to this report around safety, right? Is this a good enough report? Do we have a clear action plan? Will what Desi was concerned about, will that improve? Will safety improve? But also around transportation, how will they respond to the transportation report? And how will Desi respond to the special education report, right? All of these are in response to request that was made by the Department of Elementary Secondary Education for a significant improvement plan for the district. So I guess the ball is now in Desi's court. Kind of. But, you know, the thing that I'm observing with the superintendent is that these are all on our priority list, right? So there are a number of things that Desi asked for in the form of reports. At the same time, as you listen to the superintendent present and discuss these things, I mean, she's got an enormous load of work on her plate and, you know, and she's got to rebuild a a staff to help her with all of this work. But you you can see that she's not going to wait for Desi to react. She's, she's working on it. She's working on this. She's working on, you know, what the school plan is going to be. The superintendent is making concerted efforts around all of these things that have been presented over the past couple of weeks. And she wasn't here when Desi intervened. You know, it was a different superintendent. And so she's doing exactly what she should be doing, which is, you know, moving forward and leading the district in the way that she thinks is important. And, it, w- it will be interesting for Desi to respond. It feels like they should respond as they receive this information so right. that, you know, if there's something additive to what the new superintendent is doing, then terrific. Yep. No, I agree with you. It'll, it, the superintendent has, has not shot away from any of these issues. Yeah. She's weighed in, she's owned them, and we have faith that she'll, she'll begin to address all these issues. That's what happened last night at the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. We want to hear from you. If you have thoughts or concerns about how BPS is serving your student, please send us an email at podcast at shawfoundation.org. That's S-H-A-H foundation.org. Thank you for listening to last night's school committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston's students. Have a great day.